You can be seated. This morning, we're going to continue our study in 1 John and uh, our life-changing app series. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to follow along. You can follow along on the blue sheet uh, because I think it's a very important promise that we're going to discover this morning uh, as part of this app series. And it's an important promise not only for 2013, but as you go into the new year, I think it's a great promise for each one of us to grab a hold of. Uh, And like each Sunday in the service, I want to encourage you. uh, We've been having you throughout this since we're talking about apps to get your smartphones and uh, go to Facebook, and as you go to Facebook, check in at First Baptist Church. And we've asked you to do that because other people will see that. Uh, and not only is it a testimony that you were at church this morning uh, so that they know that, but it's a testimony to say, this is what God's doing in my life. And I've asked you to put little blurbs there, maybe tag somebody in a great blurb to put this morning if you want to check in on Facebook. And if you don't do it now, you can do it when you leave, would be to put down that I am going to not be afraid to ask in 2014. And you'll find out more about what that means here in a little bit. But I want you to to come to the conclusion that you're not going to not ask anymore. Uh, We've looked in John's study here. uh, This is our 15th week. It's our 15th promise. Uh, You remember that John's main purpose in writing the book of 1 John was to help us to discover and understand that we are created and called to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He uses that word over and over again, intimacy, intimate. It is a very personal relationship. Because you see in John's day there in Ephesus, like much of today in our church culture, there was a religious soul culture culture that was rising up and had a group of people that were claiming to be believers, claiming, and, and John says they say they are believers and they claim to be believers, but really they were just religious. Uh, They didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They could say all the things and talk all the talk, but there was no fruit in their life. Uh, There was no indication that they had an intimate walk with God. And so what John did in writing this book is to say, I'm going to give you some things to help you differentiate between the two groups. So that in looking at these things, you can say, this is a true believer. This is someone that does not have an intimate relationship to God. And as he's done that, he's given us promises or applications. And that's why we're calling it life-changing apps. Applications that we can apply to our life to help us develop a deeper and more intimate walk with God. That's the goal for every believer. Is that we would walk in the light. That we would be one-on-one with our Lord and Savior in everything that we do. And so uh, as we've looked through this, we found some incredible promises. And I want to encourage you uh, to go back and look over the last 14 or so uh, messages or passages in the Bible and look at those promises because I, I believe firmly that if you'll take some of those promises, if you'll take some of those applications and apply them to your life, 2014 will be different unlike anything you've ever experienced, especially where your walk with the Lord is concerned. Now, I have to tell you as a pastor, Uh, this time of year, it's always difficult in praying and trying to decide what you're going to preach. Because if you're in a series like we are, uh, you come to New Year's and you come to Christmas and you say, well, do you stop the series? Uh, Last week, we didn't, we talked about a Christmas story. Uh, We didn't talk about the first John series. What do you do with this Sunday? Matter of fact, it's always strange on this Sunday because traditionally all the way across the United States, this Sunday is the lowest attended Sunday uh, in church of any other Sunday in the year. For some reason, 
Uh, it's documented that the, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's is always the lowest attended in church. And uh, pastors have speculated, well, people come to church on Christmas. They think they got there twice in that week. They don't come back on Sunday. I don't know what it is. But you always wrestle with what are you going to preach? Are you going to start a new series on the new year and how you can change the new year? Or are you going to stick with the series that you're already on and just keep going? And uh, I, I have to say this year the choice was made easy for me because I believe in looking at 2014 there is no greater promise no greater warning that I can give you than what John gives you in our normal series you see I believe that if you'll look at this promise we're going to discuss today and you will begin to internalize it and apply it to your life it will make 2014 an incredibly different year and not just with your walk with the Lord but with your walk with those around you and so I want you to see this and we're going to dive right in first uh, John chapter 5 we're almost at the end of the series we're going to look at verse 13 uh, 13 through 15 have a Bible you can follow along if not read on your blue sheet with us I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, you remember talking to people that don't know. Uh, am I religious? Do I have an intimate walk? And trying to determine the two. He says, I'm writing this so you can know that you know that you're a part of the family. And then he brings this promise in for those that are a part of the family. For this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, if you have a Bible that you mark up and take notes, that's an underlining. That's one of those things that you can underline and you can say, I'm going to uh, go back and reread this because there's a lot of depth in that. As a matter of fact, let me reread it. This is the confidence we have. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we ask of him. Now, that's three really incredible promises for the believer that I think many of us in this room take for granted today. Uh, if I was to go around the room and ask you if you've made a New Year's resolution, uh, this is the time for resolutions. I don't understand why we always wait. Uh, you know, when we knew we needed to lose weight back in July, we always wait until January. Or we wanted to stop something and say, well, that'll be my New Year's resolution. But we always pile on resolutions, and most of them have to do with our personal health or our physical health or our emotional health, right? Uh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat better. I'm, I'm you know, going to pay more attention to certain people. I'm going to uh, give more love. I'm going to spend more time with my family. All of these things related to our physical health or to our emotional health, but not much related to our spiritual health. Now, I know a lot of people, probably the number one spiritual resolution people make uh, in the new year is to read the Bible all the way through. People Every year in January, you say, well, this is the year I'm going to read all the way, cover to cover. I'm going to try to read the Bible all the way through. And that's a great discipline to do. It's a great uh, commitment, and it takes a lot of work. But what happens most of the time when people commit to do that is they start in Genesis, start reading every night or every morning, start plugging away. And then sometime after about two months, they find themselves in Chronicles and Kings, and they are bogged down. It gets, uh, you start getting into some of the stuff that just seems so dry. And what happens is instead of reading to learn, we read to finish. And, and we plug away, and we plug away, and it becomes a chore instead of a joy. So if you're interested in doing something like that, let me encourage you this year, a greater opportunity, something that I've practiced in my life, uh, in the last 10, 12 years is to pick 12 books out of the Bible. Pick six from the old, six from the eight from the new, four from the old, whatever works for you. Pick 12 books out of the Bible that you've always wanted to read. 
and decide and commit to read one book of the Bible for a month. Now, some of them are short. You can read it every day, uh, the whole book. Some of them you have to kind of pace it out, and you'll find your own pace. But the goal is by the end of that month, you'll have probably read that book four or five times. And get a piece of paper out. And as you read through that, uh, let God speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let, let the Holy Spirit teach you as you go. And that way you're reading to learn. You're reading to apply and not reading to finish. Uh, and that's a great thing to do. And I encourage people to do that. But probably a greater commitment that you could make this year would be to take the promises of God that we just read in 1 John and make them yours And it's especially related to our prayer life and how we pray, why we pray, and what we pray. Now, I read a study back in the fall, since we are talking about apps and talking about smartphones, and that's the whole purpose of the the series is to kind of compare these things with apps. Uh, I read a study in the fall that looked at the most popular uses for smartphones, the most popular apps on smartphones, and they listed the top 10 apps that people use on their smartphone. And I was surprised, you may not be surprised, and a lot of it has to do with age. As you read through these, you begin to understand that there's a lot younger people than I am that have smartphones and there are older people than I am. And so that kind of skewers it. But the number one thing that people use their phone for, the number one app, was to chat, to text message. Uh, The text messaging app by almost two to one was the greatest app used by cell phone users. Now, probably some of you would agree that's probably true for you. You probably text more than you do anything else. Uh, But that kind of caught me off guard. The number two, which really didn't catch me off guard, app are applications that connect you to social media. Facebook application, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, whatever it is, one of those apps that would connect you to some kind of social media site. So that's the number two use. Okay, the number three use, which really aged me, is the music use. People use their phones uh, the third most to listen to music. Um, I bet some of you that have smartphones didn't even know you had music on there, did you? Uh, but but young people, you see them with their, their phones and they're uh, listening to it. Number four, which barely beat out number five, Number five was camera. Uh, People use their their phone the fifth most for camera. Number four was to use it as a phone. Okay? Now, I want you to think about the irony of that. That the whole reason and purpose we have this, the reason it was developed, the reason it was designed was so that we could communicate on the go, so that we could keep in touch with each other. But the, the main purpose for its creation is not the main way that it's being used. It's being used, in all, and all those other things are great uses of a cell phone, but that's not what it was created for. And I believe the same is true in our prayer life. You see, prayer was a gift given to the Christians so that we could communicate between our spirit and God's spirit. It was a way that we could share our hearts. We could share our desires. We could share our hurts. We could share our wants. We could share our burdens. We could share the burdens of other people to God and lay it out before him. We could communicate with our creator. The God of the universe listens to us as we talk to him. But what happens in many people's life, what their prayer life 
is or has devolved into is, is a prayer before a meal or a prayer before going to bed uh, or some kind of ritual that they do in a church service or a worship service or in, in, when they're in some kind of religious environment or worst case scenario, our prayer life consists of times that we find ourselves in over our heads and we call out to God because we have no other options. Now, all of those, like the apps, are, are good uses of prayer. All of those have purposes. But if that's all your prayer life is, then you're missing the richness, the intimacy, the power of being able to communicate with the God of the universe. You're missing out on the privilege that God gives you to call on him at any time. And you see what I, I, I worry in the church, and I think what John's promise is trying to get us to understand is that prayer is so deep and so rich and so powerful for our lives, but yet so taken for granted. If you looked at our lives and had to ask ourselves, how much time did we spend on the computer this week compared to prayer? How much time did you spend on the cell phone this week compared to prayer? How much time do you spend watching TV? How much time did you spend doing almost anything compared to prayer? And yet prayer is our way to tap in to God. Now, I've done several series on prayers. We, we've looked at prayer and um, had a whole series based on prayer we did on Matthew 5 and the Lord's Prayer. We did a whole series on the prayers of David from Psalms. Uh, I did a series a couple of years ago on Ephesians 6, the four alls of prayer. Always pray for all the saints. Keep on praying all kinds of ways. Uh, even last year, we looked at James 4 in our James series. It's been a couple of weeks there where it says, you have not because you ask not. And we talked about that. So I'm not going to give you an in-depth treaty on prayer this morning. But what I want to do is I just want to simply remind you of the promise and the privilege you have in prayer. And I want to suggest to you that a lot of the problems you faced this last year were prayer problems. A lot of the struggles you faced this last year, prayer problems. And a lot of the emotional baggage we carry, the worries we have, the circumstances and situations we face could be alleviated or at least can be helped through prayer. So I'm going to just look at these promises, just list them, and I'm just going to let you draw your own conclusions. But I, I believe they're very important, and it starts with the first one that he says there in verse 14. He says, you and I have confidence. We can confidently approach God. I want you to think about that. Because of our relationship to the Son, we now have access to the Father. You don't need an intermediary. You don't need somebody to go through. You don't have to do a bunch of rituals to talk to him. You don't have to go through some kind of symbolic thing. Think of all the other faiths and all that they try to do to, to talk to God. I, I remember seeing a Buddhist temple in South America and, and watching the things that they had to do before they could try to talk to their God. And then even trying to talk to him was a guess. Uh, they had a wishing spot where they could go and stand and it was supposed to be more spiritual. And they hoped that at that spot you could have a direct access to God. But there was no guaranteeing it and you had to wear certain things and you had to bring certain things you had to feed the, the, little, the little Buddha that they had there and you had to bring incense and burn it just to be able to have access to God but you see the Bible says that the believer in Jesus Christ has direct access 
And you don't have to come come crawling to God. You don't have to come uh, begging to God. It says we confidently can approach the throne of God. That means you have God as number one on your speed dial. Now think about how incredible that is for you and I. Think about the privileges that we have to have a direct line to the creator of the universe, the author of all things, the person who holds your tomorrow in his hands, your future in his hands, and at any moment, in any circumstance, at any place, he's just a word away. Now when you begin to think about that, it, it, it's deep. I remember when I was serving in Texas as a youth pastor, uh, we were putting together, I was on a committee putting together a big youth conference, and uh, we wanted to try to get Stephen Curtis Chapman to come sing at our conference. And uh, we had called his management, and this was Stephen Curtis Chapman was at his heyday 10, 12 years ago, and he was, he was big. And uh, we couldn't get the management company to call us back. And one of my good friends uh, is a musician, and he had traveled with Stephen Curtis Chapman touring. He knew him, so I took my buddy to lunch. And as we were having lunch, I communicated to him, look, I'm having trouble. You know, what do you think I should do? We want to try to get him to come and do this conference in, in eight months away. And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just, I'll just give you his number. This is his home number. And he got out a piece of paper, and he wrote down Stephen Curtis Chapman's home number. And he said, I'll call him and I'll tell him you're going to call and uh, that'd be no big deal and he, no big deal to him he folded it up he handed it to me you'd have thought you know and this is just Stephen Curtis Chapman but you'd have thought I was holding something highly precious because this was the this was Stephen Curtis Chapman's phone number wasn't his secretary's number wasn't his management company's number when I dialed this number his kitchen phone rang and so, I, I mean, I remember putting it in my pocket and, and, and tucking it into my pocket. And as I was driving home, I remember checking my pocket about four times, make sure I still had it. Have y'all ever done anything like that? We think, man, I, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this. Got to my office back at the church. And I laid it on my desk and I looked and I kept thinking, I, I mean, I psyched myself out. I thought, I, you know, I can't just call Stephen Curtis Chapman. Hey, Stephen, it's Rusty. You know, my buddy told me I'd call, you know, I, it, I got scared to death. I couldn't call. It psyched me out. I thought, you know, what do, what do you say? How do you get into that conversation? How do, you, how do you communicate to him? And that was just a music singer. And you and I as Christians have something much greater than the personal number of our favorite singer or an athlete or a politician. See, it's just a number of a person. You and I have something far greater we have direct access to the one who wrote this book, to the one who we sing about. Direct access to be able to talk and, and go to him and pour out our hearts. And yet we take it for granted. The word there, boldness, that confidence, it indicates that we have a freedom of speech. That at any moment you can come to God with anything. There's nothing too little, nothing too small, nothing too crazy. What a privilege that is that we don't utilize. John says you can have confidence to boldly approach the throne of God. But the second promise is almost as good as the first. He says, and when you approach him, he listens. See, my buddy gave me Stephen Curtis Chapman's phone number, but that was no guarantee that when I called him, he would answer. It's no guarantee, you know, I'd give you somebody's phone number, no guarantee that they would listen to you or even talk to you. 
But John tells us that as believers in Jesus Christ, not only can we go to him with anything, he promises to listen. He's not going to put us on speakerphone while he does 10 other things. He's, it's not like shouting in an auditorium. God stops everything and listens to you. No matter what it is, no matter how small you think it is, no matter how trivial you think it is, God stops and listens. People have asked, how does he do it? I have no idea. But I'm not God. I, I think it has to do with the Holy Spirit inside of us, speaking to God's Spirit. But it's a promise that John gives us that he stops. And I think people struggle in this area and they're afraid to pray because they think maybe God doesn't listen. Think maybe God won't hear. Maybe what they're saying is not important enough. Well, that's not a prayer problem. That's a faith problem. See, what I want you to hear this morning is God listens to everything that you say. And that brings us to the third promise, which is probably the greatest of all. Not only does he listen, he answers. Now catch this. Any moment, any time, you can go to God with your prayers. You can go to God with your hurts. You can go to God with your needs. You can go to God with your burdens. You can go to God with whatever it is that's on your heart. And the Bible promises not only will he listen to that, but he will answer it. And not only will he answer it, but John says when we pray according to his will, he gives you what you asked for. And see, that just blows a lot of us away. Because, because we pray a lot of times, and we don't see it answered. So we think because we didn't see it, it wasn't answered. Maybe because God didn't do it the way we wanted it done, or maybe God didn't do it how we wanted it done, or when we wanted it done. So we think, well, it's not any use. God didn't answer. God always answers. It's a promise. Bill Hybels, in his wonderful book, Too Busy Not to Pray, says these are the four ways God answers prayers. He says, if the request is wrong, God will say no. If the timing is wrong, God will say slow. Not right now. If you are wrong, God will say grow. Meaning you need to mature. You need to grow and come back and ask him again. But if the request is right and the timing is right and you are right, the answer is always go. See, you need to recognize that not only does God listen, not only does God let you ask, but he will always have an answer for you. Now, this idea of praying according to his will, people get freaked out and they think that his will is something that's out there that's crazy. It's not. It's just simply the heart of the Christian. What, what is our number one prayer? Not my will but thine. You see, praying God's will means putting myself out of the equation and praying for God to intercede in whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation is, according to how he sees best. Because he knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Praying according to his will, George Mueller said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of God's willingness. And you see, some of us say, well, I'm not going to pray because I don't know if it's God's will. Somebody told me one time we were praying for somebody to be healed. And they said, well, shouldn't we pray, God, if it's your will to be healed? I said, listen, if it's God's will that they be healed, they'll be healed. But the desire of my heart is they be healed. So I'm going to pray by faith, God, heal this person, knowing that if it's not a physical healing, they're ultimately going to be healed. 
See, some of us say, well, I can't pray that because I don't know if really if it's God's will. Well, if your spirit doesn't testify to it being God's will and you begin to pray, you know what happens as you pray? Prayer is the means to discover God's will. You see, as you pray, as you ask, the Holy Spirit, along with the Word of God planted in your heart, begins to let you know, maybe that's not something that God wants to happen. Maybe, you know, you, you pray, the guy pulls in front of you in the, the car, and, and uh, you know, you're going to Walmart, and he whips in front of you and cuts you off. And, uh, you know, instead of cussing, you say, Lord, please take that guy out. None of you would do that. You're too spiritual, right? Lord, please let him have a flat tire. God, or, or what my prayer always is, is, Lord, please let there be a police officer somewhere around here. But as you pray that prayer, you realize it's probably not God's will. It doesn't mean we can't ask. It doesn't mean we shouldn't. But it's in the asking that we learn how God's will works. See, it's in the coming to him that we recognize how he wants to answer us. It's been said that prayer is not about getting your will done in heaven, but his will done on earth. When we communicate with God, we don't demand what we want, but discuss what he wants and how we can play a part of that. C.H. Dodd, a great pastor, said, Prayer is not a device for employing the resources of the omnipotent to fulfill our desires. But it is a means by which our desires may be redirected according to the mind of God and made into the channel that leads to his will. You see, what John is telling us here is you and I just need to go to God boldly, confidently, asking, sharing, pouring out our hearts. Don't be afraid to ask. You see, God doesn't always give us what we want, but his word promises us he always gives us what we need. Always. And as you pray and as you pour out your heart, that's how you begin to discover what his heart's cry is for you. See, the problem for most of us, if we had to be honest, is we're just afraid to ask. And in being afraid to ask, we don't pray. And in not praying, it robs us of our intimate walk with God. See, my parents used to always tell me when I was a kid, there's no hurt in asking. Doesn't hurt you to ask, because the worst that they can say is no, and then you're no worse off than you were before you asked. But sometimes the asking is the hard part, isn't it? Sometimes it's the asking, and in the asking, that we psych ourselves out. Sometimes it's in the asking that, that we get scared and we back away. I can remember when I was a, a little kid playing Little League. Uh, one of the traditions for Little League where I grew up was after the game, the parents would take all the kids to Dairy Queen. Uh, now, you don't have Dairy Queens around here, but in the Southwest, they're in every small town. Uh, if there was a stoplight, there was a Dairy Queen. It was the only restaurant you went to, and they had ice cream. And so we would all go to Dairy Queen, and we would get the, the soft-serve cones. They, you know, that was new in the 70s. That was something revolutionary. It was, it was a huge treat. And I can remember going and thinking, these cones are incredible, and this is a great thing to have. And, you know, and we would get them with friends and kind of do the Eddie Murphy, I got my ice cream, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and dance around and lick our cones. And, and I remember one Saturday after one of the games, we were eating it, and I recognized that the guy behind the counter had taken that soft-serve cone, and he had dipped it in chocolate. And when he pulled it up, it now had a hard chocolate crust. And I thought, I want that. I looked over at my dad and thought, Dad's not going to get that for me. 
And so the next week came, and I thought, maybe I'll ask my dad. Got scared. So the next week, I planned it out. I, I'm going to figure out some reasoning. Isn't that the way we work? I'm going to figure out some reasons so that I can give it to him. And, you know, when he comes back with this argument, I'm going to have this argument. And when he says this, I'll be ready for this. And, you know, when he tells me, well, you got to pay for it, I'll dig into my pocket and say, I'll pay that extra 20 cents, you know, right? You know, I was ready for all of it. Matter of fact, I think that next Saturday, I was more nervous about going to Dairy Queen than I was the baseball game. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. We went in there, and we're lined up with everybody, and everybody's getting ready, and and I'm standing there with my dad, and as we come to the counter, I just look up at my dad and say, Dad, you know, I think today I'd like one of those chocolate-dipped cones. Can I have one? Without missing a beat, Dad said, sure. And got me a chocolate-dipped cone. Now, as a father now, I know, according to the Bible, parents like giving good gifts to their kids i recognize that now but as a kid when he said sure it turned back away i thought what what do you mean sure you mean there's no argument there's no you don't need it uh nobody else has one if i get you one then i gotta get all the other kids one you know I, i was ready for all of those kind of things and i thought where are all the discussion where's all the argument you know and as i reasoned through that then all of a sudden it dawned on me wait a minute I could have asked him four weeks ago. I could have been having chocolate cones all along. And I tell you that story because I think sometimes I allowed that attitude to permeate still in me in my walk with God. Sometimes I'm scared to ask God because I'm scared he might say no. Or I'm scared to ask God because it may be something too trivial or or too silly to bother God with. And, And so I allow fear to keep me from asking him for whatever it is that my heart is seeking. And so because of fear, and sometimes it's just because we don't really understand who God is. We don't understand that Matthew 7 says that God is a loving Father. You know, Jesus says, if you ask your dad for bread, would he give you a rock? If you ask him for a fish, would he give you a snake? No. And even in your carnal stage, you want to give good gifts to your kids. How much more does God want to give good gifts to you? God wants to grant you the desires of your heart. Now, it's never going to go counter to his will, but it never hurts to ask. See, in asking, it's how God teaches us. In asking God, in seeking his heart, in pouring out our heart, that's how we grow closer to him. That's where the intimacy comes. We can't allow fear or our misunderstanding to keep us from asking Because it's in the asking and it's in the dialogue that we grow closer to him. You know, I I don't want my kids to be in an environment where they're scared to ask me for anything. And God doesn't want his children to be afraid to ask him for anything. You see, think about all your intimate relationships. How did they develop? Your spouse, your best friends your loved ones, how do they develop? Talking, communication, asking, receiving. And what happens is the more intimate you get, the more you can ask, right? See, the closer you get to somebody, the more open you are to asking things that maybe you wouldn't ask when you first got to know them. And that's what happens to God. Our relationship to God grows intimate the more we ask. 
Yes, he's going to say no times. Yes, he's going to say wait. Yes, he's going to say you're not ready for that. But it's in the asking. It's in the talking. It's in the dialogue that we become intimate with him. It's in that asking that we grow. How do you define an intimate relationship? What makes intimate conversation? How do you define it? Is it in how long you talk? No, because you can talk for hours and hours and hours and still not say anything important. I know people all the time that their prayer lives are, it's like they're trying to filibuster God. But it's just nothing deep. See, it's not about how long you talk. Is it how you talk? Listen, I I can throw a sweetie or a honey or a baby into the conversation, but that doesn't make it intimate. I can use all kinds of special, you know, that's how I used to think there there were key words to talk to God because I heard my grandfather, you know, our heavenly father who art in heaven, you know, you got to say it in that voice, you know, bless us today, you know, our daily bread and our past, forgive us our trespasses. You know, I used to think those were, you had to say those things. It was all about how you said it. That's not what makes it intimate. What makes it intimate? Not how long, not how, but what you talk about. You see, what separates it from being a passing or casual acquaintance to an intimate personal relationship is what you talk about. So let me ask you this. If you look back on your prayer life the last two weeks, how intimate has it been? What have you talked about? What have you asked for? What have you poured out your heart for? John says, we've got to be able to share our hearts and our hurts with God, our needs and our burdens. We've got to learn to ask. You and I can have confidence this morning. But you can ask God anything. He will listen and he will answer. But the question is, what's holding you back? Or better yet, what are you holding back? You see, we have to trust that God knows and he's in control. See, God knows when to split the waters for me and God knows when to let the waters come back in. God knows what his purpose is when he has me build that impossible ark that I can't explain to anybody. But I never will learn that. I don't ask. Let go of your fear. Let go of your unbelief. To make a difference in 2014, it's time for his children to approach his throne with confidence and ask. It's okay. Don't be afraid to ask. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we can come as the body of Christ and that we can claim the promise that Father right now no matter what's going on in our lives no matter what kind of week we had no matter how much hurt we experience no matter how angry we are or disappointed we are that right now we can tell you all of that Father it's not until we're open and honest that you can begin to comfort so many of us are so scared to talk and so scared to ask so scared to bring it up Father help us develop intimate relationships with you 
Help us open our heart and pour out our heart and share with you everything so that you might teach us and we might learn and we might grow closer together with you. But Father, our prayer life wouldn't be about words and rituals and routine. It would be about passion and intimacy and power. God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. Father, I pray that just a couple of people here this morning would make that commitment in 2014. It changed their marriages. It changed their work. changed their relationship to their kids, to their parents. Because as we grow more intimate with you, John's told us, it can't help but us grow more intimate with those around us as we become more like you. Father, we love you. We worship you. In your name, amen. Would you stand and worship?